Well, hey, everybody, welcome to 2020. Welcome to Fuse in a New Decade. I want you to think about it for a second. At the beginning of the next decade, you will have graduated college already. You will, a lot of you will be married and have been married for a couple of years, maybe. Some of you may be parents at the beginning of the next decade. Some of you may be um, in graduate school or in medical school. Some of you, uh, you know, who knows? Think, think about where you were at the beginning of the last decade. Some of you were four years old, five years old, six years old. Now, some of you volunteers were still old, even at the beginning of the last decade. And I'm just kidding. That's mean. Okay, so we're not doing jokes in 2020? Got it. All right, we'll move on. I want to just play. Just, just kidding. No, just funny ones? Okay, cool. I get it. Um, no, but think about it. This is, a big, this is a big night. We had a break. We had a few weeks where we were off, and, and we're jumping into not just a brand new year, not just a brand new uh, you know, topic to kind of talk about for the next, the next couple of months, but we're, we're jumping into a brand new decade. Like we are starting right now, like this is the first fuse that will establish kind of the rhythm, the pace, the tone, the culture of who we are going to be for the next 10 years. And it's, it's, it's massive because I was thinking about it a little while ago. And at the start of the next decade, my children will be infused. And at the start of the last decade, I was finishing up high school. I was finishing up my run infused at the you know, as a student, as somebody who was, who was, you know, giving back, I was serving, I was singing in the band, I was leading worship and stuff, but I was very much so a student, I was very much so, you know, taking in what Fuse was, what this student ministry sort of movement thing is, and, and I just think, man, a, a, a decade goes by fast, and so we're here at the beginning of another decade, one that uh, no doubt about it, undoubtedly, is going to bring a lot of change for you, it's going to bring a lot of change for us, and for church, and for culture, and for our, our country, and it's just, it's going to change a lot. So I want to start it off by praying. And I wanted to start tonight off by um, not just necessarily jumping in with this like high energy rah, 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 because that's who I am, and I drink way too much coffee, and so I just kind of live like way up here anyway. And so I've tried to kind of be a little bit more relaxed and just even keel and realize the magnitude of what tonight represents. Some of you are here and you've, you, the last decade um, has been just a whirlwind. Like you don't, like maybe you, you watched your parents go through a, a pretty gnarly, you know, divorce or separation in the last decade. Maybe you lost somebody that really mattered a lot to you. Like think, seriously, think about the last 10 years of your life, all that's happened. You've hit puberty, your voice has started squeaking or you've already passed squeaking, you know. You've maybe fallen in love and broken your heart and feared you'd never bounce back. You've, you've, you've got like, you, you know, like think about the last 10 years. And I want, I want the weight, the magnitude of what tonight represents to sit on us as we jump into talking about something that I really do think is extremely, extremely important. So with that said, will you take a second, just bow your head and close your eyes. And just in your mind... Try to quietly think about where you'd like to be in 10 years. Like if you were having a conversation with yourself at the beginning of the next decade, what are some things you're hoping to be true about the 24, 25, 26, 27 year old version of you? What are you hoping to be true about the personal life 
of you at the start of the next decade. The spiritual life of you at the start of the next decade. The, the relationships. And as you kind of start to craft that picture of you in your mind, I just want to go to God in prayer and just ask, Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us to understand the power that you've given to us? Would you help us to understand who you've actually created us to be? So that in Christ, the next decade for us can be marked by honorable choices, not dishonorable ones. Choices that put good into our culture, not choices that put bad. Choices that give us relationships that guard us and spur us on and encourage us and protect us. Not choices that put us in relationships that harm us and steal from us and detract from our future. God, would you help us to, to be so overcome with the size of the vision that you have and the plans that you have for us so that we would be the kind of people who say yes to the right now decisions that set us up for a decade of unbelievable fruit. Holy Spirit, we love you. We trust you. We need you. Help us to start this year off right, focused on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So as a church, we're doing this really cool thing where we are jumping into the new year with 21 days of prayer. We're doing it at 6 o'clock in the morning at every campus from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. It's been awesome because we just felt like we just we need to be praying people. So come join us in the morning. And I just, I, for the record, I do this every time I feel like, but I feel like I have boogers every time I preach. I'm going to wipe my nose like 100 times. So even if I don't have boogers, it's kind of like my tick. So just let you know, I'm going to be nervous and wiping boogers out of my nose. Um, that's my goal for 2020 is just have as many boogers as possible. So kidding. Okay, so come pray with us in the morning. Every campus, um, every campus, get information and come come pray and be a part. So, all right, here's what we're jumping into the next couple of months at Fuse. Are you ready? We're talking about our identity. We, we've been doing a lot of research, asking a lot of questions, looking into a lot of things culturally and in the church, in the Bible, in a lot of other spaces and places. We're trying to figure out what is it that, that we see, like, desperately need to be focused on to help you figure out how to become great and how to love Jesus and how to walk with God over the next several years and seasons of your life. And one of the things that we are realizing over and over and over again is that the idea of your identity and my identity is is has been so attacked and changed and things are new and things are are different than it has been in not just in my generation or your parents generation but in any generation that's ever existed you are truly in you not not necessarily me you are growing up in a world that is brand new totally different it's never existed the way that the world runs right now that the way the way that the world works the access that you have via, uh, you know, the internet and apps and all this sort of stuff, the access that you have to everything in the world. Think about it. You can communicate with someone in a place that is 6,000 miles away. You can communicate in a second. It used to take, think if you wanted to get a message to somebody like that 100 years ago, it would take you six months. You had to get on a boat and get all the way across. I mean, I mean, life is just so different. You have access to everything in the world. But here's what we're finding out. Here's what everything is saying. That in, like intelligence-wise, you, you and your generation are way, way, way advanced and far beyond where generations have been in the past. Like you just, you know more things at your age and in your season than any other generation ever has. But here's the scary part. Socially, you have less context 
and less confidence in the things that you know than any other generation that's ever existed at your age. Which means you know more stuff, you can look up more stuff because Google, which didn't exist, you know, like 15 years ago, think about that, Google didn't exist. Now, Google, with, the, with typing in a word, the access to the internet in Google, you can know anything that you want to know just like that. But here's the problem. Your generation, statistically, is less confident and has less context for the decisions you're making than any generation that's ever existed. So think about the power and the danger that's there. You know more than any generation and know what to do with it less than any generation. Isn't that fascinating? I would argue that no area is this more exposing and dangerous than around the idea of our identity. We've looked into this. We, we've looked all over the place. Let me just read a couple of uh, interesting things to you. Um, do you know what Ancestry.com is? Have you seen this, like the DNA test, personal DNA test? This is like a big deal, Christmas presents and all this sort of stuff, where so many people in the world, they want to know what? They want to know, where do I come from? What am I? Who am I? Like, why is my skin white? What does that mean? Who, how did that start? Where is that from? Why is, why is your skin not white? And where does that come from? And how did you get here? And everybody just wants to know who they are. Where am I? And to the tune of, do you know how much money Ancestry.com made last year? $850 million. They are a, almost a $1 billion company. Because people are so desperate to spit in a tube and send it off and get results back. Because everybody just wants to know, who am I? Where am I from? What do I do? And it's not just, it's not just that identity where I want to know my family and my family's history. And I never got to meet my great-grandfather. What was he like? Who was his story? How did he get to, to America or wherever he got to? And what did he do when he got there? And who did he marry? How did he fall in love with? Where did my parents come from? And how did that? We want to know everything about who we are because we know deep down that who we are, the, the, the essence of our identity is so incredibly valuable. We know it. We know it intrinsically. You know it. And that's why um, when you make a decision that you're not necessarily comfortable with, you're like, where did that come from? That's not who I am. Let me read uh, another interesting um, stat to you. Do you know what Merriam-Webster is? Like the, they created the dictionary. It's a, you know, they have the, so what's, what's really fascinating is every single year they come out with a word of the year, which means this is the word that was searched so much and it was, um, people wanted to know so badly what this word actually meant that they declare it the word of the year. Let me read this to you. I've, I've read this this week in an article. It's fascinating. Merriam-Webster announced, Merriam-Webster announced Tuesday that it has chosen they as the 2019 word of the year. The singular they is a pronoun used to refer to a person whose gender identity is non-binary. A word, listen to this, that itself was added to the Merriam-Webster.com dictionary in September of 2019. So think about this. Merriam-Webster that created the dictionary declared that the term they, meaning the, gen, the pronoun for a gender non-binary person who identifies as such, was so searched for and so people were trying to figure out so bad what that means and what gender identity is that for now until forever, etched into eternity, when you're 60 years old and you're looking back over the years, you will find that in 2019... The most searched for word in all of human existence was a pronoun used to describe people who identified as neither male or female, which is an idea that was also only created that year. 
Because here we are in a space where you're growing up and, and, and things are, are different than they've been for any generation ever. And you have access to so many things and people and places and, and knowledge and information. And no context and no help for how to get there. And so we're going to take the next couple of months. And we are going to search and take a deep dive into the scriptures to find out who the heck actually are we. We believe, and, and we're going to kind of frame the next couple of months out with this. If you're taking notes, which would be a great thing to bring into the new year with you. That true identity is this. This is where we're going to be working from. True identity is knowing and receiving who God says I am. So write that down and then look at it and don't gloss over it. Let's think about it. Use a little bit of cognitive, you know, breakdown here. True identity for me going into 2020, going into a new decade where I'll change and I'll grow. My season of life will change. It's knowing and receiving, both knowing and receiving and agreeing with who God says I am. Now, that statement in and of itself is not something that goes, oh, wow, I never, I never thought about that. I, 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 who knew? I think everybody kind of knows that. But inside of that statement are some deep layers where if we don't get into those layers, we'll never end up at the actual equation, the answer that we get to. How many of you have to do math problems where your teacher says, sorry, you got to show me your work? Or you at least know what I'm talking about. Okay. Those drive me crazy, right? Because you, like, one... Because everybody kind of wants to cheat a little bit. So I don't want to show you my work. I just want to write the answer down because I know the right answer. But if you're not cheating, it kind of still stinks anyway because I can do this simple problem. Or at least once I understand the formula, like I can just do it and get the answer. I don't need to show you my work. But the reason that it's wise for teachers to ask you to show your work and to command that you show your work is because the right answer actually, it doesn't matter as much as making sure that the way you get to the answer is more important than the answer that you get to sometimes. And the same is true not just in math. It's not just true when you're in a, a, a junior level probability and statistics class. That's, that's not it. The principle there is the way that you get to the answers that you have in life determines oftentimes the answers that you get to. And so we've got to figure out if our identity and the things that we believe about ourselves, if it's so massive and it impacts so many of the, so many of the decisions that I make on a daily basis... The way that I get to understand my identity is going to determine everything about the decisions I make when I find out what that identity is. And your generation, this is not like, this is not an attack on you or like an indictment on you. This represents every single person that's growing up now in the age of like, from like 2000 until now. Everybody uses the internet to tell you things that made its way to the internet from somebody else who just put it there. Like, the internet only exists because people put things there, and somehow, some way, here we are in 2020, where people think that the internet is just like, it's like, um, you know, objective truth. It's just people's stuff that they put there. Like, it didn't exist 40 years ago, you know? And so we, there has to be another way that we can get to our information, right? Like, surely there has to be an older, a more trusted, proven way for us to approach the way that we're supposed to be and the way that we're supposed to act and live and how we're supposed to feel about who we are. And so I understand that this is a church and we're a student ministry of a church. We are orthodox Christian believers. And so we're going to hold to like a, a way of uh, thinking and believing that may seem kind of narrow and thin to you. But listen, here's what we're banking on. 
the oldest recorded documents in all of human history. Some of them we have written and recorded in the Bible, and we're just going to go to that. We're going to go to that. We're going to see what does, the, what does the Bible say about us, and let's try to see if we can build an understanding of our identity off of that, and let's see if that's helpful for us moving forward. So if you have a Bible or you're looking on your phone at a Bible, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read some things that you have read <clears throat> a thousand times. But we're going to read them slowly and we're going to take a look at them because I really think they're going to define for us what 2020 and the next 10 years are going to be for us. The book of Genesis, the idea of Genesis, it means origin. It means the, the beginning. It means the the place where it starts, and a unique Christian ethic, a, a unique moral life framework that we use to approach the way that we live is we believe that not just you and me, but that the earth and the universe in its existence have a unique origin. We believe that, and there's, there's some Christians that believe in a new earth and an old earth. There's some who believe that the earth was created in a moment. It was created 10 billion years ago. There's some that believe that it's six or 7,000 years old. There's some who trace it back to literally in the beginning. And so that there's, there's differing views of thought, and that's fine. It's, it's okay if you, you know, look into some research there. But a unique Christian understanding is that we believe that everything has a beginning. And we believe it has a beginning because we believe that the person who decided it was going to have a beginning, had a design for everything in the beginning when he created everything. And so let's look at it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Then God says, this is the, 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 the story of all of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let, let man, mankind, male, female, let them, let them, have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So pause before I move on. So what God is saying is, let's create mankind in our image and let's give them responsibility for the earth. So I know that we're in, you know, we're in 2020 and one of the most searched for things in the entire world all over the internet is climate change. How many of you have heard about climate change and we have climate responsibility? Okay, so what God is saying, this is God's idea in the beginning. I'm gonna make man and woman, I'm gonna make them in my image and I'm going to give them responsibility for the earth. And I find it interesting that here we are, you know, whether you believe it's 10 million billion or 6,000 years later, here we are, and what we're finding out is that humans have, in fact, done a poor job taking care of the earth. Why? Because we didn't start here in believing that God created mankind in his image and gave him responsibility for the world that we live in. Just a side note. Okay, here we go. So, God created man. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. Say that with me. Male and female. Say it with me. Male and female, he created them. Now, I made you say that because here in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about biblically, what's the difference between a male and a man? What's the biblical difference between female and woman? Because there's some things biblically, and then there's some things culturally, and the things that we're experiencing culturally are in question right now, but the things that are there biblically are never in question and haven't been and still aren't. And so we're going to do a deep dive in what makes a male 
a man and what makes a female a woman. So please make sure you don't miss that week. And God saw, and this is what's so fascinating to me. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. God creates everything. And he looks at it. He stops and he looks at it. And the way that God, the creator, feels about his creation is not that he hates it. It's not that he thinks he botched and he needed to start over. He doesn't look at the creation that he makes and thinks, oh no, what have I done? Or these people are going to mess this whole thing. No, he looks at everything that he makes. He looks at male and female and fish and birds and plants and, and atmospheres and galaxies. He makes everything that he creates and he goes, wow, I love it. Very good. The reason it's so massive for us to start our year, our series, our decade off, returning to the, to the genesis, to the origin of creation is because we have to get back to the belief that according to God, you were a good idea. You, with all your questions and all your pubescent struggles where you kind of stink and you don't know it till somebody tells you and then it kind of hurts your feelings and then you figure that out or, or you know, you don't really realize how big of a deal it is to not have bad breath until you, people don't want to get that close to you and all of your, your, your teenage pubescent angst that makes you question everything and make some decisions according to all of it, God looks at it and he goes, I made it and it's a good idea. We have to come back to the reality that the Bible starts in Genesis 1, where God's idea was people, male and female, and he said it's going to be a good thing. It doesn't start in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve screw everything up. Because eventually, yes, there is a part in the Bible that we get to where, where man and woman, they, they just kind of got off and they did the wrong thing. And from there, man, we, we're all born. There's this whole curse thing. It's weird sin. We talk about that a bunch. But in the beginning... According to God's heart and God's plan and his design, it was male and female and, and the earth and responsibility. And God, it was very, very, very good. And I wonder if you feel very good. I wonder if when you, when you go shop and you put clothes on and the way they fit when you, when you look and go, man, am I going to wear that? Does it feel very good? When, when you text your crush or you, you snap your crush, whatever, you're trying to communicate back and forth and, and, and somebody does something wrong and may not have regret piling up. Does, it feel, is, does life feel very good? I would argue that oftentimes it doesn't and it's not because it's not supposed to. It's because we don't come back to the reality that God created male and female in his image with a plan and a design and a purpose and structure, and it was very, very good. See, I don't know that necessarily the problem is always that we forget that, but rather that we just have a misunderstanding of God. It's oftentimes so hard for us to fight to get back to the belief that God is good. In fact, I'm, I'm reading, I read a book over the break. And listen to this quote from this book. This is pretty, pretty extreme and pretty harsh, but I want you to just, just listen to this. <clears throat> This is why it matters so much that we come back to the reality that God is good. Here's the quote. The ISIS terrorist beheading the infidel 
The prosperity gospel celebrity preacher getting out of his Hummer after late night drinks with Kanye West. The Westboro Baptist picketeer outside a military funeral screaming, God hates. The Hindu sacrificing a god to Shiva. The African witch doctor sacrificing a little boy. The U.S. Army sniper praying to God before he takes the shot. The peace activist risking her neck to stop another war because she believes in Jesus' teachings on love of your enemy. The gay singer who stands up at the Grammys and says thank you to God for his song about a one-night stand. The Catholic nun giving up a normal life to live in poverty and work for social change. All of these men and women do what they do because of what they believe about God. Now think about that. Think about the fact that all of those situations that span pretty much every culture, pretty much most major religions, all of it, all of the behaviors, all of the worldviews are attached to a belief about God. Some way of seeing God some way of understanding the world, some way of learning to relate to the people and things around me. So here's a couple of things, and you can write these down or you can just roll these around in your head as we move into 2020. Because I am believing that 2020 is gonna be a year where we get a lot of answers to questions that we've been having. Where we start to get a lot of clarity around who God is and why do I, why have I been created? Why do I exist? Okay, so there's this thing I'm going to tell you about it real fast, um, and then, then I'm going to do it. So there's this thing called catechism. Raise your hand if you know what catechism is. Okay, catechism, catechism. Okay, very few of us. Okay, a couple of us. So the idea of catechism goes back to this. There, there was a time when there were Christians and no Bible. Okay, there was actually a lot of time where there were Christians, but no Bible. And so what happened was there, people were trying to make sure that like Christianity got passed down and they had to teach it to people. And for most of human history, most of culture has been very uneducated. There's been a, a very like illiterate culture. People don't read, people don't write. There's, people just aren't that smart because they're not schooled because cultures have to work, people have to earn, they have to build, and so they don't have time for a lot of school. So the way that they passed it down is by coming up with short little statements, like little little statements and little questions and answers. So the idea of catechism, so one of my favorite catechisms is this, it's is called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's in Germany like 500 years ago. It's all these poor Germans and they're just trying to get, what do we believe about Christianity? A question and a response, a question and a response. They go in this mill with all these just normal factory workers who is God? Who is Jesus? And they can teach it because they can't read. So if they can't read, they can't read the Bible. If they can't, you know, read, they can't understand. So these these next two things are they are questions and answers that come from a catechism that are just helpful piece like piece together understandings, little one quick answers. If you want to write these down or snap photos of these, that will help you going into 2020. So the first is this: Who is God? Because if so much of our identity, if so much of the questions that we have and the understandings that we don't possess are based off our worldview and our understanding of who God is, then who in fact is God? Well, here's what we believe. That God is the loving creator, sustainer of everything. He is eternal and unchanging in his goodness, wisdom, and power. That God is good. Okay, we'll throw it up on Instagram later. Just follow us on Instagram. We'll throw that up. I see a lot of people still trying to write. We'll throw it up on Instagram. 
So that's what we believe about God. Well, if that's the case, and if that view and understanding of God then informs me of who I am, and we can get bands to come out on, on, on the stage and campuses, we're gonna sing, we're wrapping up. If that informs who I am then, then who am I? If that's God, then who am I? Here's, here's, here's where I wanna just wrap with. Here's the point of tonight, write this down. I am a human being created by God in the image of God. I am a living, breathing masterpiece of God. I am a human being. I have emotions. I have thoughts. I have needs. I have figured out somehow to relate to the world around me and the Enneagram has helped me better understand what that means. I've taken personality profiles. I've, I've not purchased a subscription to Ancestry.com, but I would if I had more money. I've read books. I've, I've searched for things. I've done, I've done studies. I've, I've, I've tried to figure out who I am. And every single answer that I come to, it leaves me short unless I go back to understanding where I came from in the first place. And the truth is that you came from God. That you, 16-year-old in Florence, South Carolina, you're not the result of a spring break mishap between two drunk young adults. And I don't care if your parents were bad parents and told you you were a mistake. And I don't care if your dad got swept up in work and walked out and now you feel worthless. You weren't the idea of a mom and a dad somewhere in some outer space thing. You, you weren't. The stork didn't drop you off. You, you may have no idea who your parents are, but guess what? They didn't think of you. They didn't come up with the idea of a human being. All of your questions about your your gender identity, your sexual identity, who you're gonna be, where you're gonna go, how you're gonna relate to the world. I'm here to just offer a little bit of hope and relief that you're not the first generation of people to ask these questions. You're not the first generation of people to wonder where am I from and why do I look like this and why do I feel like this and why do I think like this? But if we don't learn to show our work if we don't learn to ask questions, not about the answer that we came to, but how did we get to that? Who was it along the way that made me feel the way that I feel? Who was it along the way that shaped my identity so much that now I make these decisions that are destructive and harmful and bad? I can't seem to keep good friends. I seem to buck the authority that God gave to keep me healthy. I just seem to reject this boy or this girl that's trying to do good and why is it that we keep doing these things? Why? Why is it? I can tell you it's as simple as this. Because you don't believe and you haven't received what God says to be true about you. And if you have, then it may be that you don't know who God is. You've accepted this worldview of God that's just not true. And because of that, the decisions that you make are reflecting something. Because everything that you do is an extension of who you are. It's not just that you, it's not just that you can't seem to make friends. You don't know how to get love from people. It's not just that 
you're awkward and don't know how to talk to people. No, that's not it. The problem is you don't think people want to love you. It's not just that you keep running into bad teachers and coaches. The problem is you're arrogant behind, doesn't know how to be led by anybody. Because you don't think that authority is actually good for you. Everything that you do is an extension of who you are. So the problem then is not the answer you got to, but it's how did you get to that? Where did it break along the way? What is it about the way that you were raised, the, the thoughts that you had when you were six, seven, eight years old? What is it about the people who did or didn't tuck you in at night and the way they did or didn't frame your confidence level? What is it about your identity that got so far off that your view in the world is just broken? Or is your view that, man, I was God's idea and according to God, I was a very good idea. God believed so much in mankind that he put them in the garden. He said, okay, go, create the earth, subdue it, fill it, go take care of the planet. Fill it, build it, create it. It was after that command, after God loves man, he loves woman, he loves the way they relate to each other. He says, go, go be fruitful, go do your thing, man, go build the earth. This is, very, this is a good idea. This is very good. And they get tied up and they mess it all up. And then the whole sin thing, you know, we'll get into that plenty this year. So here's a question of reflection. So I just want you to ask and write this down. Who are you? Seriously. Who are you? Are, do, are you finding yourself here just, you're just doing stuff that you never planned on doing like, like you're, you're making decisions that you just feel like, like what, what is happening? Who are you? I'm not asking what are you doing because that's, that's shallow. That's, that's wrong. That'd be the wrong question. Who are you? When you look in the mirror, do you see the image of God on you? Do you see very good? Do you see love? Do you see value? Do you see, do you see that you are a good idea or do you just see something that's causing you to do things that aren't good? Who are you? And can we together, over the next couple of months, can we go on a journey together to find out the answer to that question? Will you stand? I'd love to pray, and we're going to respond. Every campus, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just being quiet and sitting for a second, and just thinking about the question, who am I? Who am I? Who thought of me? Who thought it would be a good idea for me to be tall and lanky? Who thought it would be a good idea for my legs to be this short and this weird looking? Who thought my hair was supposed to look like this? Who knew my eyes were going to be this big? Seriously, who designed my, my hairline to go back this far? Who thought my shoulders should be that low, my neck should be that long, that my face should be not smooth? Who thought about this? Was it my parents? Because I never knew them. So was my whole life tied up in these two people that I never even knew? My grandmother raised me. Was, 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 I, was I her thought? Did she think about me? My family's, we're, we're immigrants, so... 
to the country that I came from? Is that, is that who I am or am I this country? What, who am I? Where am I? What am I? I'm going to move to go to college here this year. Am I, is that who I am or am I this? Who am I? These are big time questions. And you're right in the season of life where you have access to more information than anybody who's ever walked the earth at your age. And less context and less confidence in the things that you know. And so I'm just curious, over these next couple of minutes as we sing and respond at each campus, what, what answer are you hoping to find to that question? Like what, what do you want to be true about that question? So God, I just ask, as we start this year, would we be hungry to know who we are? Would you give us the discipline to, to stop just thinking about the things that we do and whether it was right or whether it was wrong and rather we would search deep to find out who made us to be why do I exist why do I have breath in my lungs why is my heart pumping who thought hearts was a good idea who created blood and skin and freckles on skin and skin that doesn't do well in the sunshine what is it about your idea that when you looked at me God you thought that was a very good so, Father, we just, we lay down our fears, we lay down our worries, we lay down our concerns, and we just ask, would you show us who we are? Would you show us who you are so that we could understand more about who you've made us to be? God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.